I'm reading from Mark 6, 45 through 52. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Brenda, thank you. And uh, it's, it's just an honor to be able to share with you this morning, to pinch it for Corey. Uh, thank you for that opportunity. Uh, and uh, I, one of the things I just want to mention is we're going to be looking at the second of two instances in the Gospel of Mark that have to do with a storm on the lake where the disciples are in the middle of a storm. Uh, we heard one of them earlier uh, in, in the children's sermon, and this is a second. We'll talk a little bit more about why that's the idea of a second story is important. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible... The first thing that I often find is not answers or inspiration, but a whole lot of questions. And when I took a look at today's passage, I found that that was really true. Now, I'm going to read the passage one more time, not because Brenda didn't do a great job reading it, but so that we could really listen to the passage. And I want you to look for the questions that this story raises for you. Now, kids, this is for you too, okay? So if you li- listen here, sometimes you guys have the best questions. And for those of you who are on Zoom, you can put your questions in the chat, and I'll have somebody read them for us too, if uh, any of you uh, come up with questions. So listen to the passage, and as you hear something you have a question about, uh, keep, a, keep a note of it, and we'll talk about it in a moment. Immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn... He went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when he saw them walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Okay, this is congregation participation time. 
What questions occurred to you as you heard that story? Phoenix, yes. Yeah, he says, what? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, and it's an important question. You know, he says, it is I. Why does he say that? Okay, great. What others? Oh, yes, okay, go ahead. Yeah, okay. So that, yeah, so he was letting them know that it was him. Yeah, okay, that's a good reason why that might have been the case. Phyllis. Yeah, what's that all about? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's a great question. Uh, why is he going to pass them by, Paul? That's right. Yeah, he sends them ahead of, and how's he going to get there? What, why did he do that? Yeah. What else? Uh, Brenda? Yeah, why did he think he's a ghost? Yeah, Bill? Yeah. Isn't that a weird statement in a lot of ways? What's that all about? Yeah, Corey? Yeah. And did you notice that he's actually, they're straining at the oars, he's strolling along past them. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? In a way, yeah. Phyllis? Yeah, okay. How does he see them? That's a, that's a good question. Anything in the chat? Nope. Any other kids' questions? Kids, you got any other questions? Oh, okay, yeah. Annabelle. How does he walk on waves and stuff? That, I mean, yeah, duh. It's like... <laughs> You know, human, the surface tension of water is just not strong enough to support a human being. You just sink like a stone, unless you're swimming. Yeah. Yeah, but he's walking. How does that work? Okay, all right, maybe so. Okay, well, you know, uh, you know, we weren't there, so, but that's an interesting suggestion. Okay, isn't this fun? <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you all had great questions. Uh, you know, and I'm convinced that many of the questions that we come up with as we read the Bible are the very ones that the writers hope we would have. Uh, so that we'd be really paying attention to what's going on and understand it. I think oftentimes writers write in a way that spark questions in our minds, so we pay closer attention. You're all paying a little closer attention now, I hope, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, so the first scene, we have Jesus on the mountain and the disciples in the boat headed to Bethsaida. Now, what's interesting is this starts with a, another of Mark's immediately. He uses, that, he uses that a lot. We have it later in the passage, too. And, and Jesus makes them get into the boat and go ahead of him. And, a lot, and we wondered what that's about. Now this feels very abrupt, very urgent. He's like, 
get out of here. You go ahead. I'm going to stick around and get rid of the crowd. You know? And we wonder what's going on. Now, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And the disciples have gathered up all the leftovers that were more than 12 times what they started with. They started with one little basket of food and ended up with 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, there's a crowd that needs control. A feeding like this could have gotten somebody nominated to be a king or lead to an insurrection. Um, And the disciples who were on the inside of this miracle could have just added fuel to the fire if they'd been there. And Jesus wants to put that fire out. He's not really ready to reveal himself. And if he did, people would get the wrong idea about what kind of king he is, what kind of a leader he is. This is kind of a crisis in Jesus' ministry. The crowds are growing more and more, growing in size, and they're growing more restive. The disciples are getting more assertive. And they tell Jesus what to do at one point in the feeding. They're even bossing Jesus around, saying, Jesus, go send these people away. We can't. They're hungry. And there's no place around here to get food. They don't yet get who he is. And what, has, and, and what Jesus has begun with the disciples and in ministry, this could all unravel in a dozen different ways. It, it, this seems like a time of crisis. And where does Jesus go in a time of crisis? He goes to the mountain, which is the place oftentimes people encounter God, and he prays through part of the night. And it sparks the question for us, where do we go in a crisis? Uh, Have we ever stayed up to pray? You know, I've wondered, I'll be honest, with all the global conflict, with the, the domestic discord and the pandemic that doesn't seem to give up, why there hasn't been more earnest seeking of God by his people. Perhaps the students who have been praying continuously for over a week at Asbury College understand something that maybe the rest of us need to be paying attention to. When you're in a crisis, the best place to go is to pray and to seek God. Second scene. The disciples are straining at the oars, and Jesus walks by on the water. Now apparently, Jesus can see the disciples from his vantage point. I'm not sure exactly how far away they were. It was probably a few miles at best. And he's in a place where he can see in a distance. After looking up to God, Jesus looks out and he sees that the disciples are having a hard time. Straining to row against the wind. Now what can be done? You might wonder, why doesn't Jesus just speak a word from the mountain? That would take care of it, make it easier for the disciples to get over, and then he could stroll over later. We must also think about how excited these disciples, how exhausted, rather, these disciples are. They had returned from itinerant ministry before the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus had actually invited them to get away and have a time of rest. And when they go to the place where they're going to rest, they find that a crowd has gone ahead of them. And Jesus teaches them all day, and the disciples are getting tireder and tireder, and they tell Jesus to send them away. And then he says to them, well, you give them something to eat. And then he does this wonderful miracle and has them gather up all the leftovers. 
And then he suddenly sends them away. What's that all about? Uh, to spend all night rowing, no less, against the wind. Can you imagine the kind of frame of mind these guys are in at that moment? You know, they might be pretty unhappy with Jesus. Now, if dawn was around 6 in the morning, it's probably around 5. It's sort of the pre-dawn when Jesus walks out on the lake. That gives us an idea how long he's been praying. What's striking is that he's not only walking on the water, but he catches up with them and he is about to pass by while they're straining and struggling. Apparently Jesus is, under, is working under some kind of power they don't have, right? Yeah. Now, we, somebody asked, what's this pass by thing all about? That's curious. Yeah, I mean, it was curious to me too. Why didn't Jesus just come to the boat, calm the storm, get in, and, uh, and uh, easy peasy and it's done? Well, the words pass by actually carry a strong association for anybody who reads the Old Testament. In Exodus 33, Moses not only asked that God's presence go with Israel despite their disobedience, he asked to see God's glory. And God says, you can't see my glory and live, but I will show you my goodness. And in Exodus 33:22, he says, when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then in 1 Kings 19, we have Elijah. And you know, Elijah just had had this big confrontation with the prophets of Baal on the, on the mountain. And uh, this amazing thing. And then Queen Jezebel threatens Elijah's life, and he takes off running to the wilderness. Uh, and God cares for him, feeds him, gives him rest, restores him over 40 days. And then he, in, in 1 Kings 19.11, he gives him this command. He says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. We have this uh, experience of Elijah seeing the wind and feeling the earth shake and fire, and finally God speaking in a quiet voice. Both of these incidences with two of the greatest people in Israel's history, Moses and Elijah, uh, who turn up later on in the Gospels, actually, um, are, show glimpses, you know, they're catching glimpses of God's glory. And it may be that this passing by is meant, for one thing, he's just walking on water, that itself is pretty glorious, to be a glimpse of glory for these disciples. But you know what? All they see is a ghost. They don't really see who Jesus is. They're just in such a frame of mind and heart that they're in terror. They, they see a ghost. Maybe they think it's the grim reaper come for them. You know, and they're in terror for their lives. Scene three. Jesus gets in the boat, and the disciples are amazed but clueless. Jesus speaks authority with authority in three short, short sentences. You know, if there's a fire in the building, you want somebody who says, there's the exit, go for it. Walk slowly. You know, just very direct statements. And that's what Jesus does here. He says, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And we're reminded that when Jesus is present, 
we can have we can be courageous rather than fearful. Now somebody asked about Phoenix asked about the, the phrase "it is I." If you know, it's it's it, in Greek. It's it's ego eimi. I my Greek pronunciation is probably lousy, but uh, he says he basically says the same words that the Greek that in the Greek translation of the Old Testament are used when God speaks to Moses on Sinai, and Moses asks God, you know, what is your name? What who should I say has sent me to you? When he goes to the people of Israel in Egypt, and God says, "I am," or something like that, and in Greek that's translated "ego eimi." It's the same thing. It's actually a phrase that's so holy that the Jews wouldn't even say it, and yet Jesus speaks of Himself in these terms, the same terms that God used to disclose Himself to Moses. That's powerful. This God, who is the I Am, is present in Jesus. He's, this, is, this is the same one who met Moses on the mountain, and Elijah. And he's on the water, and then he steps into their boat. That's what's going on here. This glorious one. Now, as we noted, this is the second time in Mark that we've seen an instance of Jesus calming a storm. And their reaction's about the same. They're asking, who is this? This time they're terrified and amazed. Now, amazed doesn't seem so bad, except that Mark adds, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What's that all about? It may help by starting to ask, what is it that they didn't understand about the loaves? Clearly, they understood that some kind of amazing thing had happened with the loaves. One little basket of five loaves fed 5,000 people with baskets of leftovers for each of them. What they didn't understand was that this was something more than just amazing. There was something far more going on than just amazing. God, once again, was feeding his people in the wilderness in that miracle. You know, the language in Mark is very much like the 23rd Psalm. Jesus has the people sit down in the green grass. Mark even tells us that. And they're beside the, the water. And Jesus feeds them. The great shepherd of God's people is present there. The one who fed them in the wilderness is present there once more. And the one who divided the who, who made a way for them through the waters is walking on the water. But they don't connect any of that at this point. Instead of a good shepherd, the great God of Israel, all they see is a wonder worker or the king, a king who might supplant Rome. Instead of glory, they see a ghost. Jesus is trying to show them. He's the great I am, but their hearts are hard and they don't understand. Now, I'm a little inclined to be sympathetic with these disciples. They're tired, hungry, they're peopled out, they're angry, they're hangry. <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe like some of us right now. Um, why is Jesus asking so much of them? I think it is that because to really see Jesus for who he is, 
sometimes we have to really come to the end of ourselves. We have to come to the end of our own reasons. We have resources. We have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. In C.S. Lewis's The Voyager of the Dawn Treader, Edmund and Lucy uh, are accompanied by their cousin, Eustace Scrub, on this n- latest adventure into Narnia. Now, Eustace is a beastly little boy. He's got terrible manners. He's constantly complaining. And he can't take in all the wonders of Narnia. He just doesn't want to be there. And he wander- when they hit land, he wanders off, falls asleep. When he wakes up, he discovers that he's been transformed into a dragon. And he tries peeling the skin of, off his body. And he can't do it. He tries and tries and tries. And all of a sudden, he sees the lion. And he's afraid. And it's Aslan that he's heard about. And he's afraid of what would happen. But he also desperately wants to get rid of this dragon skin. Already something's beginning to change in him. And finally, he lets Aslan help him. And Aslan takes his claws and takes deep digs into this dragon skin. Until finally all that's left. Is a, uh, is a transformed boy, Eustace, who has a new vision of Aslan. You know, we all can be beastly like Eustace Scrub at times. And when we are, we miss the glory and wonder of Jesus. We might think, wow, that's cool. And that's all we see. Our lives, and even I dare say our religion, becomes one of fear and complaint and sensation. What's amazing in all of this is that Jesus comes and he gets into our boats. He doesn't give up on the twelve, and he doesn't give up on us. You know, we notice that this is the second time that Mark records the story of Jesus calming the waves with the disciples in a boat. And there's actually, it's the beginning of a sequence in Mark where Jesus does the The same things happen as this previous sequence. It's like Jesus is repeating the lesson. They didn't get it the first time, so what does Jesus do? Like a good teacher, he repeats the lesson. You know, he doesn't give up. Now, how do we get rid of this hardness that prevents us from seeing Jesus in all his glory? Seeing all Jesus has for us. Jesus shows us that when we are at the end of ourselves, we are at the place where he could begin to work. He gets in the boat with us, he calms our fears, and he invites us to give those hard hearts to him. We can't change them by ourselves, but he can. We can't see Jesus for who he is, but he patiently keeps showing us, speaking I am to us. You know, we often speak of Jesus, of asking Jesus into our hearts as an initial step of coming to faith. I'd suggest that that's true, but also that he invites us to take him into our hearts every day, to open our hearts afresh. Only a heart that's tender to him can see him. And we're so inclined to be beastly and to revert to our beastly selves. Will you ask him to come into your heart afresh today? Will you ask him, as we listened earlier in the song, to open the eyes of your heart 
so that we can see him more clearly. Amen. Thanks again for listening today to Sermons at Smoky Row Brethren Church. If you enjoyed this message, would you consider leaving a rating or review or share a link to it on your social media page? All of those things can help to spread the reach of this podcast and make this resource accessible to more people for their spiritual growth. Or if you believe in the mission and the work of our congregation and want to support what we're doing, you can give online at smokyroad.org give. Link available in the show notes. All of our ministry work is funded by the generosity of people like you. Until the next time, may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may lead you. And the peace and the power of his Holy Spirit. See you soon.